got the real deal now. Ooh. Gonna kick this sorry ass out on the street. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since we've done one of these. I feel like it's been a while since you've done one of these at all. Um, yeah, I've, I've kind of just been but, put it off. I've just a lot of things happening at home. Um, but I did one last year. I did, I did a stop in the one. Did the one. Couldn't have to go. Um, but this time we're going to talk about last year's WrestleMania main event, which was uh, Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair in a winner's take all triple threat match for both the War and SmackDown Women's Championship. And obviously it's a stock event because it's the first time women have uh, main evented WrestleMania. But holy fuck, it's probably the most convoluted story behind a match I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, I remember really trying to figure out how they were going to get there because, you know, it seemed for a while like maybe Becky wasn't going to be involved and then was it going to be for all three and what, how was it going to work out? And yeah, it was... It was a journey, if, if I recall. Yeah, um, and it kind of all starts just before SummerSlam the of 2018. Uh, Charlotte Flair had come out from injury. Uh, Paige was the general manager of SmackDown at the time. And she kind of was like, oh yeah, welcome back. Oh, by the way, if you beat Camilla, who's the SmackDown champion at the time, in an outside match, I will add you to the match between Becky and Camilla. Um, and this time, Becky Lynch has Finn had to go through a couple of like hurdles to become number one contender. Um, Charlotte wins, so it becomes a triple threat match at SummerSlam. Charlotte goes in to win the match at SummerSlam, and sh- and I think they say Becky doesn't take that well because she that's her heel turn and she beats pretty much beats the crap out of Flair like the next month. And I think become, I think she becomes like the SmackDown champion pretty soon afterwards. Um, I think while I think the problem with Becky's heel turn is that. You also hear turns to you see one here to be some way justified in what they're doing, but this is probably one of those heel turns where the fans are with her because they're like going, "Yeah, you've been totally screwed over here." Yeah, it was. It was. It's hard to tell if it was a happy accident for WWE or if it was, in fact, meant to read that way. Um, all points sort of indicate to like they just kind of lucked into it. And it wasn't meant to, they meant her to be the heel, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how you would look at that and think, oh yeah, no, the person's being accused of like the gross nepotism, um, you know, the daughter of Ric Flair who presents themselves as the queen and all that would be the baby face over this, you know, um, hardworking, uh, Irish lass who has, you know, sort of gone through one really awful gimmick early in NXT and sort of made her way up and is connecting with the fans in this way. And that, you know, I mean, I remember at that point, like people were kind of getting sick of Charlotte. Um, 
I was kind of getting sick of Charlotte. Like I'm trying to remember, I think it was the first time the women ever main evented a pay-per-view for WWE was hell in a cell, uh, Charlotte and Sasha Banks, if I'm not mistaken. And the match wasn't terrible, but it was like, there was a lot of stuff where it was just like, Charlotte just takes like four finishers and kicks out and kicks out and kicks out and kicks out. And then she wins on one, you know, one natural selection and she beats Sasha Banks. And it's just like, I don't want to see Charlotte is good, but I don't want to see her booked the way that, you know, John Cena was booked in 2008. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to watch that. And that was kind of how it was starting to feel a little bit with Charlotte. So I think my main issue with it was it just bounced the championship like a yo-yo for like three or four months. And it's like, just one of you keep it for a bit longer. Yeah. I think at the point where like, Charlotte will win, will win it on a pay-per-view, but then Shasta will win it back on, like, a war or something like that, and then go back to Charlotte pay-per-view and all that stuff. And I think I enjoyed, like, the rivalry they had, but that, that's the only thing that bugged me about it was the fact they just bounced it in between the two of them for, like, three or four months. Right, and I, and I feel like it, it sort of cheapens the title. I always just remember there's a Rob Van Dam promo from, you know, 2002 or something where... I can't remember the specifics. I want to say it was like him and Jericho and they were feuding over the IC title yeah. or something, I, I think. And, you know, Jericho says something like, I'm a, I'm an eight-time IC champion. And, and Rob Van Dam goes, you lost the IC title eight times? <laughs> you know, and it's just like, like with Charlotte, she's only been on the main roster now for four or five years. And she's whatever, 10 or 11, 12-time champion or whatever. And it's like, you, you lost the title 12 times already? Like... It means one long reign, I think, means more than, like, you know, you can talk about Ric Flair as the 16-time champion, but Ric Flair also had an in-ring career of 30 years. And even then, I think a lot of people would say, well, yeah, but, you know, Bruno Sammartino was champion for eight years. He only had two reigns. Yeah. One of them was eight years and one of them was five years or whatever. And it's like, it doesn't matter if he only held it twice. He held it for you know, all this time. And it's just like, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you that bouncing the title around, like I really think that NXT has done it right. in a, a couple of times and just yeah. sticking it on, you know, Oscar for almost two years and then sticking it on Shayna and she dropped it for a minute um, and then won it back again. And, and, you know, over that time had it for, you know, what a uh, two years, I guess, close to combined time, you know, that's more, and then it means something when she gets beat. Like, when she got beat by Rhea Ripley, which they sort of deflated that balloon at WrestleMania, and we'll talk about that later, I guess, but, you know, when someone finally beats that person, um, you know, it means a lot, which is also, I was, I remember when Asuka just left NXT and for, vacated the title, I was like, that's that's kind of a shitty way to do that, because you could give somebody a big rub on the way out. Like, like I'm sure it was Triple H's decision and not Asuka's, but it's like, you could... Like Asuka could give someone a huge shine on her way out by having someone beat her, and you just decided not to do that. Yeah, and with Asuka, one thing I like to do, they're kind of like teasing, because she's been champion for so long, she was like teasing, like, didn't really make it a heel turn, but she's like, started to be like really arrogant, like, she's like, going, no, you can beat me. There's one time where they had, I think it was like a four-way match and she's like interfered and fucked them all up and that led to like Amber's moon injury and all that stuff because she's like well no one can beat me so it's going to beat you all kind of thing so I would have liked to see mm-hmm. that develop a bit more before someone won um, but they didn't do that and then but um, we'll talk about Asuka in a minute 
<laughs> so, fast forward to Survivor Series uh, of that year. Um, it's a whole like war versus SmackDown thing. Um, I think it's the Monday before Survivor Series because Becky Lynch was, became SmackDown champion plus faced Ronda Rousey, who at that time had already debuted and beat Alexa Bliss at SummerSlam to claim the war Women's champion. Um, the, the women invade war. Uh, Nia Jax, before we graded, they pretty much cave Becky's face in. Um, so that means Becky couldn't take part, so she handpicked Charlotte Flair to um, to be a replacement. Um, we go to TLC. It is, I can't remember if it was in the TLC match, I think it was just Becky and Asuka, wasn't it, in the ladder match? In the TLC match? Uh, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Um, Asuka wins, pretty much thanks to Wanda Rousey. Um, so Asuka is now the new SmackDown champion. Um, go to Royal Rumble. Uh, Becky tries to beat Asuka, but loses but she comes to line oh, no, it was it was Asuka it, it was all three of them it was Asuka, Becky and Charlotte yeah so yeah so that's why Wanda interfered and helped um, Asuka get the championship um, but at the Royal Rumble match of last year uh, Becky was going to take part but Lana got injured early in the night and couldn't compete so Becky's like I'll take over goes, goes in wins the match and goes on to challenge Wanda Rousey so you think you think okay that's, a, that's pretty much it right uh, and then literally um, in February, I think there was a, there was a storyline where um, during that time, like Becky, it's all like had injured her knee, and she was like, "Oh, we need to have medical things." Also, she refused to do it. And I can't remember. I think that's the time when she attacked Triple H and Stephanie and got suspended for it. Yes. Yeah. A week after that, she got suspended and lifted by Triple H. But this one man's like, "No, no, no, no! I'm going to put back on the suspension." Uh, Pampit, your replacement, and Charlotte Flair. So you're like, for fuck's sake. Um, so it's now going to be Charlotte versus Wanda for part two. Um, and the thing that gets me is like, I can't remember how long Becky's suspended for, but she's still like interfering and like in like all the match, no, interfering, attacking Flair and Wanda and all this stuff. You're like, and I think to myself, wasn't that increase your suspension or get you fired? <laughs> um, but get uh-huh. not. Uh, Probably should, but no, no, it doesn't. But it gets to the point where she faces Charlotte Flair at Fastlane, and the condition is if she wins, she gets added to the match and becomes a triple threat match. Um, Wanda interferes in that match to help. I think I remember correctly, she, um, she, I mean, she attacks Becky to get her to get Charlotte disqualified. Um, and a lot of people were like going, well, that doesn't make any sense. But I thought, no, that does make sense because Wanda wants to face Becky. So she did. that's why she did it. Um, and then for the next month, it just it gets more and more convoluted. We get uh, Wanda Wilder just suddenly turns heel. She was going like, pretty much go, fuck the man. Fuck, fuck the uh, I mean, the, the crowd was not, that she was not being received yeah. by the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. Yeah. No, no, Phoenix Wright. Sorry, that's yeah, Phoenix Wright soundtrack. Um, she was not. Ronda Rousey was not being received the way that they wanted her to. Which I don't know why nobody ever figures this out. But when you take somebody who is a non wrestler and you push them to the moon and back. 
when they haven't done anything in wrestling, wrestling fans don't like that because wrestling fans like the people that they've been watching for years and years and are familiar with and that they perceive have put in the work and paid their dues. And it's different when it's a new wrestler, like people accepted. Well, also people, the, the, the desired response to Brock Lesnar was that he not be liked. And I'm talking about back in 2003. Yeah. Um, or 2004, you know, um, 2000, 2002, actually, I guess now that I think about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, that was what they wanted, but also, um, uh, it's different when it's a celebrity, when it's someone who's famous for something else who comes into wrestling and they get pushed right to, I mean, and I have notes about this in the match itself, but like Ronda Rousey, it's a weird, the mat, this match that we're talking about today is a weird, like there's this, um, contradictory nature about it, right? It's like, Ronda Rousey had no business being in that match, but that match is not the main event unless Ronda Rousey is in it. So it's this big, important, historic match, and it's really great that Charlotte and Becky, who did work very hard and hone their crafts, and are, I mean, again, we talk about the nepotism thing and the way that Charlotte was booked to a certain extent, but be that as it may, she's a great worker. She's one of the best workers WWE has right now. And Becky, through obviously a very different path, um, starting training in a in a gym on the you know uh, west coast of Ireland with you know Finn Balor and and whatever and, and and honing her craft and working through the UK and European Indies before finally getting a chance in the United States and getting with WWE and all this stuff. They both deserve that, but they don't get to have that spot and have that moment if it's not for this interloper in the form of Ronda Rousey, who again had no business being the champion that fast, had no business being in that position that fast. And in fact, as we're recording this just today, said a whole bunch of really, and it's hard to tell if it's supposed to be like a work shoot where she's about to make a comeback. And so she's trying to get heat on Twitter or if she just, which I hate that stuff to like, let's, let me just clear that out right away. Even if it's that, I still don't like it because I hate that stuff. I think it's stupid and it doesn't work for me. Um, but if it's not that, then she's just being shitty about wrestling on Twitter today about, you know, wrestling fans are ingrateful and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you didn't do anything to earn this spot. You came in from another sport. Like it was like Michael Jordan going into baseball and expecting that he should just be in the MLB but he's a basketball player, not a baseball player. And you have to, you know what I mean? It was the same. It's this, except Michael Jordan to my, to my recollection was not like super arrogant and entitled about that. He should have just been on the starting lineup of the white Sox because he was Michael Jordan. Um, and that was the, you know, that sort of felt like the way it was for Ronda, even if that wasn't her attitude, that was how WWE was doing things. And that is how it was going to come off to the audience where we're watching, you know, I remember sitting there and being sort of like, okay, so, you know, like, Bailey and, you know, like, 
I mean, it, like Bailey and Sasha Banks from a tag, this big tag match cluster four way. Bailey and Sasha Banks, Nia Jackson, Tamina, uh, Beth Phoenix, and Natalia, and Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, and it's just like Bailey and Sasha probably deserve that. Both of them deserve that spot more than Ronda. Natalia probably. I mean, Natalia would not sell pay per view buys or, or sell a main event, a WrestleMania main event, but like. She probably, strictly speaking, deserved that spot more than Ronda Rousey did. Yeah. You know? And so the the heel turn wasn't so much a heel turn. It was just sort of WWE accepting that that was how the crowds were going to react. And they had, because it was getting mainstream attention, I think, they had to kind of go with it. Because if there's clips on SportsCenter of people booing the shit out of Ronda Rousey while the announcers and everybody in WWE try to act like she's the conquering hero they look like buffoons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the, that's the story of the heel turn really. You know? Yeah, I think so. And, um, and I think it's, um, I think, I mean, I know the fact many people don't know you, but I think too, like, cool than that is that they pander too much to nostalgia and I think they, they kind of give celebrities like too much power kayfabe. <laughs> like things like Wonder Wowsy and I'm not like disputing a, like, Ethic or anything like that, but I think you do agree. She she got pushed way too fast, and but, but she, right. I mean, I have I have no I don't have any knowledge of how hard she trained and worked yeah. and who she was working with to learn professional wrestling versus MMA. But that's not especially material in, in terms of. I mean, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt and say she probably worked her ass off. Yeah. That doesn't make you good. You're not. You're not. The reason that most of us. Um, obviously I never got to any real heights or notoriety, but like the reason that most of us start in the Indies is the reason that I did my first show was a non-paid gig in front of an audience of like 10 people is because you have to learn how to do it. And no matter how much time you spend in camp until you are wrestling in front of audiences and understand the craft and the dynamic of the performance and when to go to the audience and how people react and all that stuff, like you you don't know how to do it. And she doesn't, she didn't know how to do it at a level that a person who is in the main event of WrestleMania should normally know how to do it. Yeah, that's true. Um, so we get that. Um, and there's a bit, I can't remember, probably the week after when they all get a Western and that causes the big wall um, backstage of war. And then pretty much the week before WrestleMania, Charlotte Flair beats Asuka to come and smack down Women's Champion. So it all becomes this winner-take-all match. And I think to myself, you, I, don't, I didn't get why you had to add the SmackDown Women's Championship. It seemed to be like they're just adding as much as they can to try to like, sweeten the deal in a way. And I think to myself, you just made this too convoluted. I mean, yeah, I agree. I, I agree. But... You know, that's how they did it. And I think that, yeah, I don't really think history is going to remember when people watch this match back in another five years or another 10 years from now, like no one's going to remember that Charlotte beat Asuka somewhat, somewhat unceremoniously a week before like going into WrestleMania. No, no one's going to remember that. Um, And to that extent, I mean, the match sort of stands on its own because it's not hard to see, like just watching it, you know, today for the first time since you know i guess probably just about a year exactly 
Uh, yeah, uh, a year and four days exactly ago was the last time I watched this match, which was when it happened live. And, you know, I just sort of took it for what it was. Um, you know, and there's no, you don't have to explain why Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch and then Ronda Rousey, even though, again, all of the stuff I just said about how I don't really think she deserved to be in this spot, she was still like it like her presence and the way that WWE treated her and her reputation as a longstanding MMA champion and a silver medal judoka at the Olympics and you know, whatever, like all of that is like, I, I understand why these three women are the three women in this match. No, it's like when you go back and watch WrestleMania five, um, which I just did for another podcast a couple weeks ago, and you, no one has to explain. Like even if you knew nothing about the storyline, no one has to explain to you why Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage are in the main event. Because if you follow wrestling at all, you have enough context to just know that that in 1989 that was a main event anywhere, no matter what. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage just is the main event, and no one has to explain it to you. And I think that's the same thing here. Like people will come back to this match and be like, yep, that makes sense as a, as a main event. Cause you know, two of the best women of, of this past decade for sure. And one who was extremely famous for a different thing. It all makes sense. You know, no explanations needed as to why these three women are here. Um, so we get to the match itself. Um, Flair, uh, arrives by helicopter. Um, well, because you pretty much going to walk from a helicopter park into the stadium, and this is that MetLife Stadium, obviously it's just going to take a bit longer. So, yep. uh, during that time, we get to see Georgia and the Black Horse play one of the balls into the ring. Um, and then we get Charlotte Flair arrive, and then, then Becky Lynch out. I forgot to mention that Becky Lynch has started calling off the man um, yeah. at that point, because it's a play on Ric Flair's catchphrase of to beat the man, to come by, you got to beat the man. And I think it looks bad if, she, if Becky starts beating on the seventy-year-old. So I'm <laughs> Right. So I think I found this really interesting for two reasons. One, um, the two champions get these extravagant entrances, and Becky, who as the commentary points out, is the sentimental favorite of the. I mean, the crowd is one hundred percent behind Becky, and the it's it's weird to me that the two you know, the two people who are not the strong baby face here get the big extravagant entrances and Becky gets just, I mean, it's a long walk, but she gets her normal entrance music and she walks down to the ring without any, and she's not even wearing a robe or any sort of entrance gear at all. She's wearing her ring gear. She walks down to the ring to her music, gets in the ring and has a match. Also, she's the last one introduced, which is usually, usually the champion gets introduced uh, last in yeah. a lot. So there's two ways you, that people do it in wrestling. Champion gets introduced second, which is a mirror of boxing or MMA. That's just the, the, the tradition is that the champion gets to come in second. Uh, or it's um, done with the baby face. The heel comes in first often because if they're going to cut a promo or something, then it makes sense why the baby face is just standing there and looking at them while they talk. Yeah. So a lot of times the heels come in first. So in this case, you that aspect of it is intact but really you kind of have this you know it's almost like they're signaling that she's going to be the champion because she's the one who gets the final entrance which i thought was interesting 
but yeah, all the signs, it's weird. Um, because I feel like even leading up to WrestleMania this year, when there were still crowds in the venues, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just got to blame the booking, I think to a large extent, like the fervor for Becky, not that people don't still like her, but like it did not last in a way that I, I mean, there were a lot of people at the time talking about how like Becky Lynch is the new stone cold Steve Austin. And I was like, that is ridiculous. That's a ridiculous comparison. And there is no way you can know that now until 10 years down the line. We can see if that bears out. But calling it going into WrestleMania 35 and saying Becky Lynch is the next Stone Cold Steve Austin is frankly insane. Um, but I feel like even even to that that level of hyperbole, like backing off of that, I just feel like I don't see the same. Like she's not getting the same pops. She's definitely you're not seeing like a sea of people holding signs that say the man. Yeah like you used to, like, I don't know what really happened and I don't watch week to week WWE TV except for NXT. So I guess I'm not maybe the most qualified to pontificate on it, but it just seems weird to me that she, that her moment in the sun did not last as long in terms of just audience reaction, how over she is. Like, it feels like she should have just been able to ride that wave um, as just in a very stone cold Steve Austin uh, mold, even if she didn't reach the heights of popularity or mainstream crossover or anything, like just in the idea of like, I'm going to go where I want, when I want and do what I want. And I think part of it is that they captured that by having her sort of the same way they did with Austin, which is Austin in 98, 99 really was acting fairly heelish, but the audience, the, the people that he was acting that way too, and what the audience was wanting and what the sort of larger zeitgeist was in that time, particularly in the U.S., um, wanted that. We wanted someone who was not going to, like Bob Backlund or Hulk Hogan as WWF champion in 1998 would not work because that's not what the culture and what the people wanted they wanted a a rebellious um you know he came off as both a regular guy and anything but a regular guy at the same time and they were letting becky do that when they were trying to cast her as the heel and then the crowd came around to her but then it seems like after that maybe they started trying to do more traditional babyface stuff with her instead of letting her just keep doing the stuff that got her those huge pops and that huge support in the first place, which was just to sort of act like a heel, but to do it to people that ever, that they, that the crowds hated even more yeah. and, you know, to not talk, uh, not to get cheap, uh, heat by insulting every town that you go to. Yeah. And that worked for her. And I feel like, and again, I don't watch the week to week TV, so it's harder for me to say for certain, but it, it feels like they've sort of taken that away from her and not let her, do that and she's more of a back to like a kissing babies and shaking hands baby face a little bit and it's just like that's not why people gravitated to her yeah exactly. um, yeah so we'll um, get to the match um, like pretty much while they get like Liz in the corner pretty much starts kicking her to her and then uh, gets her out of the wing um, goes out a little bit where she hits pipe the piper's pit which I, I don't I don't define it she's like she puts it like in Let's like do small book, kind it's of twist, twist herself around. Kind of like a shitty angle slam. Yeah. 
it does look impressive sometimes, but then but it did, I think we did the flares. So I think the flares taller than it didn't look as good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like it's like a. If I had to explain it to someone who'd never seen it before, I guess I would say it's almost like it's like a snap Samoan drop. Yeah. Um. So, but well, while I get sent to the uh, barrier, I get flare which fight the ring for a bit. Um. And there's a bit where I think what I think Flair is about to try power bombing, but while the kid holds it, she was like outside the ring for some of the ropes, and. I think it was supposed to be a triangle, but somebody fucked it up, and so yeah. her arm wasn't trapped in there, and it didn't read the way that I think it was supposed yeah. to. Uh, but uh, Becky, like, drop kicks her, and she... It looked, first glance, she landed on her head, but she just landed, like, elbow dead head. Um, yeah, she... she So, that spot is really good, and I will give credit to Rhonda for that. That, cre- that spot's really good, and she almost... So, <clears throat> what happens when you... Because they show it a second time on slow motion yeah. replay... The the thing that makes it look really dangerous and like it almost could have hurt her is that her she gets kicked and she doesn't get pushed quite far enough so her yeah. butt hits the ring apron. Yeah. Like she would have taken a flat back bump if her butt didn't hit the ring apron, yeah. but her butt hits the edge of the ring and that starts tilting her back towards her head. But she falls fast enough that she lands, yeah, like you said, kind of on her upper shoulder blades and on her elbow. Yeah. But it looks really good. It looks really scary, and and yeah, look, look good. Yeah, uh, so we get a bit where like Flair goes for a moonsault, but um, Vince puts it knees up and applies the disarmor, and Roddy stops it. Uh, we get a bit where like Flair hits double national selection. Um, Flair gets her dad approved Flair chops. Like I think she hits like Wanda like four or five times, and Wanda just proof uh, goes you chop like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, um, so, and then she says, oh, I chop like a bitch, and chops her in the face, which know, is yeah. pretty good. Uh, and then Flair puts one in the bottom drop, and I'm a big fan of Charlotte Flair, but I'm not a fan of a bottom drop, because she does it standing up. Yeah. yeah um, but um, but Liz breaks it up with a face buster. Uh, Liz is a double DDT, and then hits Flair with a backsploder from the top rope. Um, there's a bit where Wanda hits a double crossbody and then a double armbar, uh, but Flair wants... The double armbar looks like garbage. Yeah, I it, hated it, it that. Good. Uh, it wasn't like, um, I think when people do it, they kind of put one on top of the other and then do it, so you kind of do the same move. Right. Them, but it just looked like you were just grabbing both arms, but and the thing that got me, it was like, I didn't think she had a good enough grip, but it took Flair and Becky like three times to kind of powerbomb her out of it. Yeah. Uh, so like one of the hold on for dear life. What I don't that stuff looks okay um, yeah. from Rhonda's part, but the thing that I don't like about Rhonda, and we've you've already talked about a couple spots where like I don't want to pick apart every single thing that she does, but yeah. just in general, when you watch this match, I, it's obvious it's obvious to a worker, but I think it's probably obvious to to fans too. She doesn't move in the same way because she's used to not really caring how something looks, yeah. right? When you're fighting, when you're in a shoot fight, it doesn't matter how it looks. It matters if it's effective. Yeah. Um, but she takes a lot of weird half steps and sort of uh, – she's what they used to call – when I was in training camp, we used to call it happy feet. She's got happy feet. She, she shifts her weight. She moves her feet around a lot. She doesn't – she's just not a seasoned performer, 
is the thing. And, and, and so a lot of what she does, like the, the forum she throws look good and solid and they're laid in and stuff like that. But even just like, um, you know, stuff like getting in position for a certain thing or trying to do a certain, like she, it looks awkward. It looks really awkward when she's trying to position herself to do something or when she, cause she's, I mean, she's green as goose shit. That's why. Lynch managed to get Wanda in the disarmor, but uh, obviously with a couple of threat rules, because you can't use the rules to get out of it. So, but she just used them to kind of climb, kind of get herself up, and then uh, send Lynch to the corner. Um, Flair goes under here, and Avalanche managed to fly on Lynch, which looks pretty impressive. I hate. I haven't took a note about that. I hate the C four C four Spanish fly, whatever you want to call it. I hate that move. I've always hated that move. It doesn't make like. I guess for me, there are just some moves in the pantheon of professional wrestling that just go just a little bit too far that I'm like, nope, it breaks my suspension of disbelief. And really, like, I mean, I've talked about this with other people before. The Irish whip is really the one that should do it because the Irish whip doesn't make any sense. But it's so embedded in pro wrestling that at this point, nobody ever questions an Irish whip, even though it makes absolutely zero sense. The C4, like, why would I go with you? Why you're you're one arm? No person's one arm is strong enough to carry another full-grown adult human with them in a backflip. There is no way you would just fall over by yourself and do a face plant. I hate that move. But in this spot, I do have to say one thing that I liked about it because it's always viewed as a devastating move. You know, whatever. Um, Becky kicks out of the pin instead of putting her foot on the rope, yeah. which is a plus baby face stuff. When I was getting trained and I tell these stories on the podcast all the time, people are probably sick of hearing me say it. But when I was trained, when you work the way I was trained, if you work baby face, unless there is a specific story reason that you're trying to, like, unless you're trying to make a point with it and trying to make it a story a focus point of the story you're trying to tell baby faces do not go to the ropes. You just do not do it. Now, if you're trying to make a point about like, oh, you're in a submission and you're gassed and it's devastating and you, you, you know, you're trying to put over the heel basically yeah. as having or, or another baby, you know, baby face, baby face match. You're trying to put over the other baby faces, devastating submission move. You can make a point out of grabbing the ropes or putting your foot on the ropes or whatever. But general, general rule as a baby face, I was trained. You don't use the ropes yeah. ever. So I liked that, that she kicked out of the C4 instead of putting her foot on the rope, even though she was definitely close enough to just drape her foot over the rope if she wanted to. Yeah, um, so after that, Flair sends Lynch out of the ring and then starts to focus on one, uh, one's leg. This one, she had a few cuts on the left car. Um, Flair puts Wanda in the figure eight, um, but Lynch breaks up with a leg drop from the top rope. Mm-hmm. Um, Lynch remembers oh yeah it's triple threat match no disqualification so um, she brings out a table um, but she doesn't get to use it I think she's going to lay Wanda on it but she gets stopped from doing it uh, Wanda's obviously got a potty mouth she's like well table's off of bitches and flips it um, I admit though I know they never, I know they used it later on but I did get worried because they flipped it but the legs are up so I'm, I'm a brain was going at the time like hopefully no one hits that <laughs> yeah right that would be uncomfortable 
take a bump on the table legs yeah. uh, standing up yeah that'd be that'd be bad yeah. be a bad scene uh flair goes on to put the table in the corner um and then tries to spin him through it um but they kind of toss her over onto the table because it doesn't break and she takes the worst table bump of us <laughs> it looks like like you want to get that like i feel like rhino was really good at doing it to to guys uh just splitting the table like perfectly down the middle and getting a really good solid crunch sound out of it and this this is not good this is a bad table bump in the corner doesn't look good uh, I, know, I know that i know that like the whole thing is like you got to be stronger enough to be stand on but like life like not not thick enough that you can't break it so, yeah i think it's one of the time where to me i think i don't think they tossed it hard enough or like I think it wasn't that she wasn't high enough. It looked like she hit too low on the table. That was that was part of the problem with it. But I will say I'll say this: another, I'm I'm exposing the business, uh, breaking kayfabe. Um, You never gimmick a table. And the reason you never gimmick a table is because if you cut a table when it breaks, the concern is that the metal rim, the metal edge of the table usually will just bend when you put someone through it but if you cut it it will snap and you can get and people can get stabbed by the yeah. uh, the metal frame of the table if you if you gimmick it so you never gimmick a table um to get to the end where um one uh one of the goes for another pipe pit but uh lynch refers into crucifix pin um then it is slightly botched because while the referee's counting i think i think the referee counts one and wonder i think because she wasn't comfortable enough Pull her elbow up and then back down for the weapon. Uh, and yeah. Becky wins. I think that wasn't basic. Uh, to me, it just seems to sort of just come out of nowhere. Because you know, you get some matches where you, you can feel the finish about to happen. I, I didn't really feel like that, especially with this being the main event. Um, I, I agree. I, tend, I remember feeling that way kind of at the time a little bit, but I also recall feeling like. I like the roll-up win. Yeah. What I don't like about this... So, and I also feel like if the table bump had been better, if it had been a, a crisp, the table breaks clean in half perfectly, you get a big, solid noise out of it, that would have helped feel like we were going to the finish, because, like, Charlotte is out yeah. of it after going through the table. Um, the But, yeah, I mean, I, I like that... I would... I mean, would it have been nice for Becky to get a definitive victory by, you know, hitting Ronda with the Bexploder or making her tap out with the Disarmor? Maybe, but the idea that Becky, like, I almost read it as Becky has put in her time and Ronda is not a pro wrestler and Becky is craftier. And she saw an opening and hit that roll up, but Ronda fucked up the finish. So there's two things about the finish that I don't like. One... Rhonda's so gassed that she has to like crawl on her knees over to the rope and use the second rope to stand up with Becky on her shoulders. Um, which I just doesn't look good to me. Um, but more than that, I hate that whatever she was doing, adjusting her weight or shifting or whatever, that her shoulder kind of comes up for a second. But that that isn't even the worst thing because that shit happens from time to time. It, it probably shouldn't happen in the main event of WrestleMania, but it happens. But the commentary 
doesn't just ignore it and brush over it. And they start to like the is this she's disputing? She's saying her shoulders weren't down. Like, don't do that at the main event of WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah right you can yeah right that because that's the thing then it makes it makes the ref you again schools from wrestling uh uh or tales from wrestling school with with joe drilling um i was also was taught really 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 go a mile out of your way to not put heat on the ref don't put heat on the ref. Um, again, unless you're telling a specific story about like a crooked ref or something, yeah. but like in general, you don't want to put heat on the ref and that puts heat on the ref. So like commentary should just shut up. It makes Renee look stupid. Yeah. It makes the ref, it puts heat on the ref. Like just don't, don't do it. Don't even mention it. And I mean, Graves was probably just caught up in the moment and nobody said maybe, I mean, maybe Vince was fast enough while producing the commentary to tell him to say something, yeah. but I feel like he just organically said that cause he saw it and he, you know, but I would have just ignored it yeah. if it was me. Yeah, so, um, and then um, Betty holds up two belts and fires go off, and that's the end of the show. Um, so, so far, it's, it's, this is this match is actually 24 minutes, and I mean, you talk about Wanda being, like, exhausted, but I don't really want She's to gassed to the gills, brother. Yeah. She's dying at the end of that match. Yeah, I'm not, I, mean, I'm not, I don't really watch UFC, but I know a camera of women, I think it's three rounds of five minutes. Um, so it's three rounds, but it's five rounds for a title, unless it's different for women, which is possible. But I think, I think it's the same for men and women. I, yeah. I, I think it should be. That's weird if it's not. But yeah, I know it's. Um, I know we haven't. Like, I don't know if you watch tennis, but for like the major, like what the grand slams, like rumors in the U.S. Open and all that stuff, men it's best out of five, except for women it's best out of three. So I thought it was something like a bit similar with UFC because I said well, I rarely watch it, but the point I'm trying to say is like she's probably used to probably like go five minutes at a time and then like a bit of a break and then go again. And I don't think any of her matches that she had up until then were very long. Uh, and also the fact that I'm not uh, women's matches up until quite recently were probably no more than ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, also it's a different kind of conditioning, right? It's yeah. when you're when your strength can. Uh, it, it, I don't know. It's hard to. I can't say because I guess I've never done MMA, but it strikes me as a different kind of conditioning. In wrestling, it's very. It's a lot about your. Um, you're less training for strength than to be able to sort of lean on someone and and finish a fight, and you're more training for endurance and for, um, you know, aerobic fitness to be able to like not get blown up from. You know, so there's probably an element of that, I guess, in MMA as well. But yeah, like you said, I mean, a lot of her matches where she won with her armbar and stuff, like she, they didn't go very long, and so 20 minutes out there is, you know, that's that's a lot. And also, the fact it's um, also point about now is that it's more medical decisions because don't forget, this is like a performance, isn't it? So you've got to like make sure you get the spots right and communicate that to the other person, and and obviously, I know that from playing. Team for like would be, but obviously the more exhausted you are, you kind of think less clearly sometimes. So it probably was a combination of that as well. Because in MA, your, your job is to like get your opponent down quite quickly, but it's different with wrestling. So you got to like think about what you need to do next and things like that. And I, was, I don't know how how much planning went into this match, but and she's probably the least experienced out of the three, obviously. 
so uh, she probably got kind of carried in a way by the other two and she had to like number member spots and all that stuff so I think it's more for Wesley's more mental position as well that she's going to go through yeah um I don't know. I think it, yeah, I think it is, but honestly, all that considered and that I did already say, like, I don't really feel like she had much business in here. Um, the match is actually pretty good. Yeah. I think it's pretty, pretty watchable. Um, and again, a historically important match to be sure. Yeah. Um, I think my own issue is that whilst I get the history making all the stuff, all that stuff, and I'm really happy to win the domain event and stuff, but, it wasn't like the best feel good story coming to the event because that was Kofi and Daniel Bryan. And it, yes. And um, I think, and that was a really good story as well because I've got to mention earlier, like Vince went from, oh, I'm going to go and like be a different Kofi Kingston instead for Wakefield. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, but that, that, that was a really good feel good moment. And I remember seeing that for, if it wasn't for the situation of women, this should be, that should have been the main event. But, um, yeah, but this was the money match. I mean, like yeah. we said, right? You know, it's it's she's, you know, yeah. Ronda's the star, and that was going to be the match that got people to watch. So they put it on last. Yeah. That was on the poster. It was, you know, all that stuff. So. Definitely, yeah. And um, I know the end was a bit botched, but it wasn't the most botched ending you've ever seen to WrestleMania main event. So um, yeah, I, I think we know that. We all agree that's eight, right? I'm sorry. Say again. We all agree WrestleMania 8 had the worst ending. Uh, I would say 9, unless you're thinking of 9 and said 8. Well, I think 8 could... Well, I mean, 8, no, 8 eight was pretty bad, but 9 with the, with with Brett losing to Yoko and then Hogan comes out and beats Yoko in like 30 seconds, that's the worst, yeah, I, I think. think. Worst, but I think in terms of like... In terms of botch, oh, like botch, Papa Shango yeah. missing his cue and stuff. Uh, yeah, that, okay, wow. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, yes, that's probably the worst botch, yeah. but straight up worst finish. I would give to nine. Yeah, definitely. Like definitely. that's the worst finish to a WrestleMania. Yeah. Uh, so, what has been your opinion of Western over the last year? Obviously, I don't know how much you watch. So, uh... um, I think it's so. I I watch pretty much all the WWE, you know, super cards, um, the, the pay per views, the takeovers. Um, except for the NXT UK stuff, I don't watch that super closely. Um, and I watch, uh, AEW and I watch NXT week to week. Um, but I don't watch Ron, I don't watch SmackDown. Um, but I, I think it's more exciting. I mean, people say this and people have said this for a long time and I said it 20 years ago, I said it. Um, and I am saying it again now, and I feel like I'm I'm vindicated. Um, competition stimulates the market, yeah. and when Vince was the only game in town, and you can say like, oh, what about Impact? Oh, what about Ring of Honor? Like, no, that the, the Impact was never, not for a second or a minute, anything like a legitimate threat to Vince McMahon, ever. Right. Um, it took something like WCW, something on that level is what I'm, when I talk about competition, I'm talking about that. And some people say, well, well, dynamite's not there either. And I would say that, I mean, I, I don't know what the highest ratings impact ever pulled were, but I, you know, they're probably not as good as the best ratings that, 
um, Dynamite has already managed to pull in its less than one year long existence. You know, um, you need someone with deep pockets. You need prime time cable television um, to really be, and you need money. I mean, that was the big thing about Impact is you know a lot of guys, you know, guys like Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, Rob Van Dam talked about like you know it was a light, it was a lighter schedule for still like an, as much money as I need to live basically right like I'm not going to go broke in Impact and I don't have to work nearly as much and that was what they wanted. But if you're talking about you want to get guys who are at the top of their game who want the most money. Impact was never going to be able to compete with Vince in terms of what they would be willing to pay someone to come and wrestle. And, you know, now that now it's more interesting again, and it's obvious that WWE views them as a challenge as a, as something to have to deal with in a way they never really did with impact because impact I mean, I haven't watched Impact with any degree of regularity in about a decade, although I've heard that now, since Dixie Carter's out, like it's it's actually not that bad. Yeah. But I stopped watching in about 2010, 2011, because it, Impact was unwatchable. It was so bad. And, you know, Dynamite is is really good, and there are people who are excited to go there, and the booking isn't terrible the way it was in impact for so long. Um, you know, it's like there, you know, when, um, there, just yesterday people were, people were throwing a little party on the internet on wrestling Twitter because dash and Dawson, the revival, uh, got their releases from WWE, which they had been unhappy for. I mean, basically since they came up from NXT, right. They've been unhappy. And WWE would kind of throw them a bone, give them the tech, give them a short run with tag titles, and then take them off of them and put them in there with the, they were part of the authority or something for a minute. I want to say or yeah, uh, a little bit, yeah. I think there was lines in some way. Yeah, and so it was like you know we give they give them a little something to to placate them, and allegedly they were they were trying to sign them for a million dollars a million dollars per year per guy to not let them go, but. They decided to go. They got a 90-day no-compete clause, but I think probably in July, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Dash and Dawson, you know, attack the Young Bucks on an episode of Dynamite in, in mid-July. Um, and you know that's exciting. That's it's the, the question of you know when when Jake the Snake pops up on Dynamite, it's not like you know it's not like Hulk Hogan showing up on Impact that time, and it was just like, oh, how is this going to go? Like, how bad is this going to get? You know, it's like. You know, it's really interesting to see, like, what are they doing with these guys? Where are they going? And they're using guys who were misused in WWE or never used by WWE in ways that kind of show that there was something there. Like, WWE, man, they blew it with Ty Dillinger, you know? Um, And now to see Sean Spears in AEW have like a pretty solid match with Cody with, with uh, Cody this past week on dynamite. And um, he's doing the thing where he's managed by Tully Blanchard and all this stuff. And like seeing guys who didn't get a, or like just especially what they've done with Brody Lee, you know, the former Luke Harper that WB gave him a little bit at some points. 
had a really good run with the IC title, I thought. Um, he had that ladder match that uh, with Dolph Ziggler that was like really, really good. Um, but they really never did anything with with Brody Lee. And so now AEW is sort of taking advantage and, and you know, they're doing stuff with guys that kind of struggled in the mid-card or even guys like Dean Ambrose who got to the top of the card in WWE. But, you know, when he came back to being John Moxley in AEW, like, I mean, he's kind of being the star that he probably always should have been instead of cutting these awful promos about, like, I'm, I'm getting a... Like I remember they just shown Milwaukee and it was like I'm he's like I'm out of clinic getting vaccinated because this town is dirty and gross and it's just like this is the most paint by numbers like stupid heel shit that is not it's cheap heat it's not interesting you know and uh, he's been able to to do more Chris Jericho's career has gone through a revival and by the same token I think it's put pressure on WWE especially with NXT which is now on you know the USA network instead of just on the network the WWE network um, to push things and to have you know big matches and to sort of I guess just continue the level of quality that NXT was always known for but getting it to a bigger audience because it's not just on WWE network anymore and so you know I think what I would like to see in the in the coming year would be for AEW to get a little bit more momentum. Apparently they're getting a second show that's actually going to be on TNT um, soon. And they've already gotten renewed for like three more years, at least with dynamite and like to see them grow in a way where it's more like WCW, the, the Monday night wars era of not in terms of the type of content necessarily, but in terms of, um, you know, it, it, I would like to see AEW start pulling those 2 million viewer nights at some point so that we're seeing Vince sweat a little bit. Cause I think when Vince sweats a little bit, that's when the best stuff comes out of WWE. That's when the best stuff comes out of, um, the, the, whoever the competition is AEW. When, when WWE was, was bad, WCW just sort of came to their level. Like, and it was also kind of bad. Um, but when things, when, when business is hot and that means something different now, cause people I'm sure will say like, Oh, well their ratings are so low. Business isn't hot. It's not hot in that way. And it never will be again, probably because the way people consume television is so different from the way it was 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. But I mean, there, there are people I know who religiously watch wrestling now who five or 10 years ago thought it was dumb and you know and so there is a the business is hot in a way it's just in a different way but in terms of its cultural cachet its awareness the way uh, wrestling twitter sort of interacts with other folks and, and social media and stuff like wrestling is is popular it's just popular in a different way i mean it's still Raw and SmackDown are still some of the highest rated shows on television. It's just that the ratings for everything are down because there's so many choices and there's so much time shifting and people stream stuff. And um, so I'd like to see, you know, hopefully AEW can hit a groove and really strike a chord somewhere and really, really get ratings up to a point 
I don't personally care about ratings. Like, I don't I, the value of whether the wrestling is good or not. The, the ratings don't matter to me. They don't factor into that for me at all. But for Vince and for WWE to recognize the threat and therefore sort of go into overdrive in terms of trying to come up with the best ideas, the most watchable shows, the big matches, the good matches, the things that will get people talking. Um, you know, that's what that, that's what it takes is, you know, because if suddenly things got to a point where AEW was nipping at the heels, doing high 1 million numbers every week, WWE would definitely be trying to figure out a way to, um, counter that and to draw those viewers back and it turns in and for people like us who are big wrestling fans and watch both I assume you I, I guess I don't know what the deals with Dynamite in the UK and how you watch Dynamite but I assume you can watch Dynamite some way yeah it's, um, it's on channel but yeah, we have um, like in the UK some, I think you do it now in your country is that some TVs have like a catch up service on the internet so yeah so that's why I watch it on the ITV one so um, yeah, yeah, so you just log into the into the website and watch it streaming yeah, through the the Gotcha. Yeah, so so that's good for us because we're gonna watch. It's not like it was. It was hard in the in the Monday Night Wars era. Yeah, it was really hard to watch both shows. It was almost impossible for certainly for a high school kid like me at the time. My parents weren't going to let me occupy both TVs so that I could tape both wrestling shows on Monday night. That wasn't going to happen. I had to pick one. Um, and I so I would tape Raw. I would sit the VCR to tape Raw while I was doing my extracurriculars or whatever, you know, my rehearsals for the school play or my, um, you know, whatever it was, debate practice or whatever. And then you know, I watched Raw because – and then when there was like the, the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show or Wimbledon or whatever that preempted Raw, which is still baffling to me that the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show would preempt the highest rated show on cable television. That like is weird to me. But, um, you know, then I would watch Nitro because there was no Raw. Um, so I would watch Nitro on those weeks, or I would watch the first hour of Nitro and then switch over to WWF Raw after, or whatever. But uh, now it's really easy to watch all the wrestling you want to watch. So if they're gonna if ever, they're gonna get involved into an arms race of who can put out the best wrestling show week to week with the, these huge pools of amazing talent that both companies have. Like I'm all in because I'm just gonna watch everything that I that's good, everything that people tell you know what I mean. So, and then who knows what that might end up meaning for other companies and indies. I think that's the biggest indication to me that wrestling is that the business is hot. Yeah. When I was wrestling indie shows, it was real hard to draw. Like most promoters considered if you drew more than a hundred people in the territories where I was working, like that was a pretty good show. Yeah. You'd pretty good gate. If you got a hundred people and there are indie shows now that like, I mean, obviously there's still depends on where you go. If you, I'm sure that whatever indie wrestling is going on in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin right now is probably still only drawing about a hundred people because you've got a tiny population. And of that population, how many of them are into watching wrestling and how many of them are going to drive from the surrounding area in rural Wisconsin to come see wrestling, you know, but in a city, you know, there are indie shows that are drawing thousands of people uh, over a thousand people or thousands of people. And that 
that is much different than what I was used to in my indie days, generally speaking. Yeah, I think for me, it's, um, I don't know, it's always good. I mean, um, I think some bits of Dominion were just like, oh, what the hell? You know, saying more of the booking decisions. And I've been enjoying Dynamite, I think. Uh, I'm not quite sure how their commentary works, because I'm so used to the, uh, you know, the play with, uh, the straight man and the heel commentator. And they seem to, well, I think they're all good. They all seem to, like, do play-by-play, like a bit of play-by-play themselves. So it mm-hmm. took a while to get used to that. Um, but especially now, now with this pandemic happening, and obviously with the whole empty studio, and I won't feel like, what, a, I went and watched one of the empty machines where they had no fans, but mm-hmm. they had a story going like that where, like, you had the wrestlers on the sideline, and you had uh, MGF and uh, Sean Spears, like, making bets on matches. Yeah, um, yep. And also, and then at the end of it, just Chris Jericho, because he had that power, apparently, was like going, oh, I'm going to ban all the crowd. I'm going to ban everyone like, to watch all the crowd now because you're all supporting <laughs> the, the faith and all that stuff. And then, right. and all, then fans are, all fans are banned from AEW yeah. shows until further notice, yeah. uh, according to Chris Jericho. Yeah, and then, but then the next week you've got, you took got the better thing going on, but now in the trailer, watch on the TV, and <laughs> they're still and you're talking about them doing bets. Uh, so I find that very interesting. Um, so just briefly talk about. I think I think having I think having the guys and, and girls that the workers in the audience area really helps. Yeah. Even just a little bit, even though it's only like twenty people, it, it just the the fact that there is at least a little bit of crowd noise rather than sort of like the dead silence of the WWE shows. Yeah. Um, I think helps a little bit. Although it's all, I mean, we're all figuring it out together. We just did a. In fact, just today, as we're recording this, the podcast posted that I did with uh, Eric Darcy over on Doug. Um, I, for myself and Eric from What a Maneuver yeah. did uh, a podcast for, for them about the Team Challenge series, the pilot for the Team Challenge series for AWA from 1989. And um, they tried to fake it. Yeah. So they shot all the matches in like a warehouse, but then they piped in crowd noise, and it's real bad. Like it's really disorienting because it, it it's like it's like like you're you can see that there's nobody in there but there's still crowd noise yeah and it's really so I mean people are kind of figuring out how to make it work but that is not the way to make it work in my opinion do not pipe in crowd noise. Yeah. I always find it weird when they could do things like that. I mean, I used to hate when the like do cartoons and do like canned laughter and all that stuff in it. Um, yep. I think there was time when Fox and the NFL started playing like ambient music like during a match and I was like going what the feeder um yeah no uh, don't do that no um, <laughs> so, um being on M2 Wingers um this year's Wrestlemania uh, was supposed to be taking place at Raymond James Stadium because obviously because it's a big pirate ship in the middle of the stadium it was all got the pirate theme oh, I was like looking forward to it and then um I know at that time the governor had not issued a state, state home order um because for some reason this is a state issue, uh, but I knew the government, uh, the Tampa Bay mayor had, so West Virginia got moved from there into the performance center. And yeah, so um, I can I can I can very slightly explain that. It just has to do with the way that the U.S. government is structured, and um, after the revolution, the founders were very wary of centralized power, so. Yeah. The U.S. system of federalism basically says that you know states. 
states are supposed to have most of the power. That's sort of not really the way it's worked out in practice in a lot of cases. But like emergency powers and stuff like that are generally reserved unless it's a very, very, very serious emergency um, in sort of extraordinary circumstances. Generally, the states, the governors and the legislatures of the states have control over that. So, yeah, they... Um, and it was causing a lot of consternation a lot on a lot of these events. So originally, the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee was supposed to be the same weekend as WrestleMania. Yeah. And I had thought about going, and I, I hadn't really made a complete decision yet based on sort of some of the moving pieces around it. But um, I was thinking about, like, oh, I'll go up to Milwaukee for the Midwest Gaming Classic, and then I'll hang out with my wrestle friends up there, and we'll go to, uh, like, there's this bar called the Vanguard that's a bar and restaurant. It's a restaurant. It's not a bar. The restaurant called the Vanguard that's up the street from where I used to live in Milwaukee that does, they make, um, they like, they have a butcher. They make their own sausages, really good sausages. If you're ever in Milwaukee, go to the Vanguard, check it out. It's a great place. Um, but they show all the wrestling shows. It's a wrestling bar restaurant, basically. They have a big painting of Crusher and Dick the Bruiser on the wall in there and everything. And, um, um, I was like, I'll, I'll go, you know, I'll do that. And uh, the Midwest Gaming Classic announced when everything started happening, they were saying, you know, we we were asking people to petition the govern the governor and you know the mayor of Milwaukee to cancel the show because if we have to cancel the show ourselves, we lose like our insurance won't cover it. And so we lose all the money that we sunk into all the preparation we've done, you know, whatever, a month away from this thing. And uh, finally, you know, the mayor of Milwaukee did eventually issue an edict about, you know, can't you can't uh, no public events over whatever size. And so then they 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 were in the clear. But that was a, a part of what people were saying was the case with wrestlemania right it was like people were like why aren't they canceling it and it's like well because they're waiting for the city to do it because if they just cancel it they have to pay raymond james a bunch of money and they have to pay you know so so it's kind of a game of chicken of like who's going to cancel this first because they wanted the, the insurance for having to cancel yeah but we have to do a bit similar in the uk because we had all problems like, go, like like was recommended that we don't go to like pubs or stuff but the pub was like going if you force us to close we or like some events, like the same as in states, like, if you're recommended, no, recommended don't go to event is different than cancel an event, so it's like, right. yeah, so we're going to lose money, so just please tell us to cancel it. Um, so with this weekend, really, it became too big for one night, so they hosted it over two nights. Um, what did you genuinely think of this year's WrestleMania? Because I think it was very unique in a lot of ways, and that was due to the circumstances. Um, and I thought some of the matches were pretty decent. Um, but I think there were some moments where like, like some really good moments of like if there was a crowd there it would have made it better um, I mean I think crowds feed the wrestlers to a certain extent you know and, and um, I think well I'll say this we're going to be talking about this Wrestlemania for a lot of years to come because yeah. it is so weird and probably will only be the only you know this is going to be the only one of its kind probably ever um, barring some other horrible, you know, catastrophe. Um, you know, I actually quite liked the show, though. Um, some of the matches you could tell the performers maybe weren't as juiced as they would be if there had been tens of thousands of people cheering for them, but 
um, a lot of the stuff was was really good and used the environment and the space in a way that um, were you know like the 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 Daniel Bryan um, Sami Zayn match I thought was really good um, and used the space in a way that really very few of the other matches did. Uh, uh, that was the best match Randy Orton's had in a real long time, in my estimation. Um, I liked Edge Orton. I, in fact, I um, I will say that I thought the Edge and Orton empty arena match, or whatever, you know, whatever you have, no holds bar, last man standing. You know, the Edge Orton last man standing match was better than the uh, Champa Gargano uh, match that was on NXT this week. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'd be curious what you think. You should tweet me or whatever when you finish watching it. I'm curious what you think because I really I didn't love the finish. Is what I'll say about that match. But um, Edge Norton was good, and of course, I mean, you, you know, I don't think we want to turn this into like a whole review of WrestleMania 36. But um, the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match are the things that everybody was kind of talking about, and um, I mean, they were great. They were both great. And the funny thing is that I thought, I thought after the Boneyard match, I was like, there is no way that the Firefly Funhouse can compete with this. Because the Boneyard match was so dumb in all of the just best and most perfect ways that wrestling can be dumb and enjoyable at the same time. That I was like, there's no way they can top this with the Firefly Funhouse match. And I I think I stand by that. I actually do think the Boneyard match was maybe a little bit better. Um, but the acid trip that was the Firefly Funhouse match was so much fun. And the fact that John Cena was able to... And this doesn't surprise me based on what I know of John Cena and based on sort of the trajectory of his career, specifically over the last five-ish years. Um, But obviously a man who does not take himself too seriously. Like Hulk Hogan never would have done that match at any point in his career. You know what I mean? Yeah, what I said in my review was uh, I couldn't see any other wrestler doing this except for John Cena. He has... he had the ability to kind of make fun of himself in a way, because he knew like people like hate. You know, he was very polarizing earlier in his career, and he'd do things like st- like stand next to people wearing like I hate seeing the t-shirts and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so like I see you. Come up, I just I don't know. It was very um, Bonyo match was just dumb in some ways. I mean, there were bits where like I, I did like Styles' entrance when he came in. Yes. And then the the end, then like taking out massive teleportation and fighting freaking like cones of flame from bar, like old barns and shit. I'm like, okay. Yeah, and I think what I thought was interesting about that is I saw people being like, oh, he biker, they brought Biker Taker back. And I'm like, not, I mean, kind of, but not really. Biker Taker was never throwing fireballs at anybody or teleporting. You know, he's kind of a hybrid of, of the Dead Man version and the Biker version. You know, I said for the um, Clive Owen House, I've read, I read a really good article about it on Uplox about it, and it was really good. And me, because the first time I was like, okay, I, got, I kind of got a lot of references, but also want to watch it again. It goes actually makes you really think, it's like, oh yeah, I remember this, and all that stuff as well. Um, yeah, I mean, the Firefly Funhouse was like, it was like an adult swim, 
you know. Yeah. It's like it's like too many cooks, but wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, it was. But all that, I mean, yeah, both of them. I think it was just that the the boneyard match I thought was a little more coherent, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with the Firefly Funhouse too. Those two matches are going to be if that's what we. I mean, it, it's it's worth not having a crowd for the rest of the matches if those were the matches we got because yeah. without the current circumstances there is no way that we would have gotten those two matches and i'm i'm certainly not saying the pandemic as a whole is worth it at all you know no human lives are worth a funny wrestling match but in terms of losing wrestlemania losing the crowd for wrestlemania that aspect of it i think is worth those two matches you know well, I didn't enjoy it. I think um, I can't just restart it with Edge also because that just follows too long. Give like 35 minutes. You know, a lot of people said that, and I, as I was watching it, like I didn't feel it didn't feel like it was dragging to me. Um, Eric and I were on Discord and we were talking, we were kind of doing like a watch together, yeah. you know, over Discord, and uh, we were just we were loving it. Um, all the really silly stuff in that match, too, that the the like. Aside from the fact there's a chain link fence on the ceiling of a conference room at WWE's Performance Center, yeah. the fact that Edge scaled on it and did like a Spider-Man elbow off of it, and um, the just that I mean I I bought that they wanted to take each other apart. The only thing I didn't like is I didn't like weepy Edge at the end where he's sort of like sad about like I don't mm, that doesn't work for me. I, I I wanted to see him want to rip Randy Orton apart and not be like sort of sad about right about it right before he did it. Yeah. Also, also they showed that giant ass ladder and didn't use it, and that was I was like, you should have put that ladder away if you weren't going to have somebody climb up it because that's a giant ass ladder, man. <laughs> yeah, I think that's at the beginning of the Masters. I don't. Uh, it's one. It was the end of those instances. I don't think you could have done with a big crowd. It was like you know, Orton like this guy says so a cameraman and like going surprise and hitting the edge with the RPO. Yeah, I mean, I I think that some of the shots, I guess, yeah, you're right. But I think the match itself, you still like they've done you know big backstage brawls at WrestleMania before. I think this match probably still could have similarly happened at at, at a normal type of setting. I'm. Yeah, I think they're using a different site. Maybe I thought I thought I heard a rumor that they went to Alabama or something, or Georgia or something. I don't, I'm not really certain. Yeah. Um, or if they're making, if they're trying to make a claim that they're essential services, which is kind of nonsense, but. Um, yeah, because I remember uh, uh, right before WrestleMania, they were saying, well, they've got um, the Raw and the NXT afterwards in the can, but they don't have a SmackDown. And so there was talk of like, well, they're just going to take a break and show, you know, whatever archival content, best ofs, whatever in the time slots, basically for a couple weeks. But obviously they didn't. I mean, last night there was a live SmackDown. So yeah. not- they're not live, but, you know, there was a new SmackDown last night. Yeah. So. Jordan Devlin 
it's through that champion that he's obviously stuck in Ireland. They they had to go do this interim cruiserweight championship thing now. Mm. Uh, oh yeah, I heard something about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so it's an interesting time for Western as a whole. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Definitely. So, Joe, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, well, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at shake underscore well. If you want just like the wrestle vibes only, you can follow my the account of my old podcast. My friend Eric and I used to do, don't really do anymore, but we still have a Twitter account. It's what underscore a underscore maneuver, and we still share that account. And um, we tweeted a lot during WrestleMania and stuff like that. Um, and then you can uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel if you're into video games. Uh, particularly old video games. The most recent thing up there as of this recording is a uh, uh, a big episode I did about WWF WrestleMania, and uh, you can find that currently at uh, youtube.com slash on the stick. Or WrestleMania, WrestleFest, WWF WrestleFest, the arcade game, is what the video is on. But yeah, uh, uh, youtube.com slash on the stick. Uh, for me, uh, my website is at nogalwrestling.blogspot.com. Just doing many pay reviews or fights that are pissing me off. Why about that? Uh, and also the podcast is on SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud.com forward slash Northern Wrestling where you go to the blog for page and just play the So, um, Joe, thanks again for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you guys for listening and goodbye.